You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. Together, we're here to empower, educate, and encourage women to start talking about money. Discover more at fidelity.com slash it's time. Her Money is brought to you by PRX. We are going to have so much fun today. We are here. I don't know if you can hear the background noise, but there are people walking by because we are in the bustling halls of WeWork, which is a great communal office space where we work much of the time. And Giada De Laurentiis is in the house with us laughing at me because I'm <laughs> I'm stumbling over my words. No, I'm very, very excited about this conversation. Giada's rushed over here from the work that she's been doing in Brooklyn. And we're going to talk about her life. We're going to talk about what she's learned from running her own business, what she thinks of those new meal kits. I just tried Blue Apron and I've got some impressions of my own. And her advice for anyone looking to make terrific meals in not a lot of time and often on a budget. So Giada, welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming This is in. so fun. It's fun. I mean, this kind of space, have, do you work in this kind of space ever? I do not work in this kind of space <laughs> ever. So. It's like one clear cubicle after another, I all with sliding that. doors. Well, I live in Los Angeles and I don't, I don't think that we have much of this unless you go downtown. So yeah. it's kind of fun to see this in New York City. It's kind of fun. Do you know Gail Simmons? She's across the hall. I thought that might be her. She looks like she's on the I know. Oh, no. I was waving. She she knows you're coming. If she in. looks over, I'll wave at her. But yeah. yes, I do know Gail. That's so funny. So tell us what's going on with you. You're so busy and all over the place these days. I don't think I'm any busier than anybody else. I think we're all busy in our own ways. Um, I travel a lot. So I think that's why it seems like I'm maybe busier. Um, and then I think being a mom keeps you busy and... Uh, you know, I do this this travel schedule where I call it the trifecta, where I do Los Angeles, Las Vegas, Las Vegas, New York, New York, Los Angeles, and I just keep going on this like trifecta, um, and it definitely uh, it keeps me busy. Well, Las Vegas for the new restaurant that bears your name. Yes, um, it is almost two years old now, um, but yes, I go there often, often. When I used to work at Smart Money Magazine, we used to do these stories on dream careers, things mm -hmm. like opening a country inn or starting a hardware store, which, believe it or not, was a lot of people's dream, mm -hmm. and opening a restaurant. And it was always a lot tougher than people thought that it would be. Well, isn't that why we call them dreams? I, because I they're usually tougher. <laughs> they're they're amazing in our brains as a dream, but when we try to make them a reality, we realize how hard it can be. And I think for me, I'd never owned a restaurant. I'd worked at many restaurants, but they were never mine. And I certainly um, had never opened the size restaurant I have, which is almost 300 seats in Las Vegas on the Strip, where there really aren't any other um, female chef branded restaurants. They're all male branded restaurants. And after being there for two years, I can see why. <laughs> why? It's hard. Because I think that um, it truly is a male dominated 
area. Um, as much as it started as a place for people to go see women and to gamble, it's, it's really about men. And it is that the culture is now changing and it's women they're trying to draw in because the whole uh, male gambling sort of uh, business is sort of going by the wayside. And um, so they're trying to draw women in. But it is it is tough business. It is tough business. They're not used to uh, dealing with women. And I think that it's a mentality, but I think it's a mentality across the board. And I think it happens to many women who own their own businesses, no matter what it is that they choose to do. What have been the unexpected challenges of opening a restaurant in this male dominated space? Well, first of all, being heard, number one, I I think that, um, you know, I think that it's difficult to be heard and be respected at the same time. And in the food business, although there are many women working in the food business, there aren't many women at the top of the food chain, if you want to call it that. Uh, and so it's tough to have them sort of respect what you're saying. And because I'd never owned a restaurant, it made it even harder, meaning I didn't have a team. I had a few people who worked with me, but not a team of people. And their argument was, you've never run a restaurant. You have no idea, which is true. It is true. But at the same time, I also know my brand very well. And I knew that I wanted what I wanted there, or there was no reason to do it. The risk of being a woman in charge trying to lead an enterprise is is the same risk that any woman takes when she goes in to negotiate for something that she wants, whether it's more money or a promotion or more responsibility or a seat in the boardroom. We are looked at when we are tough as bitchy. Right. But when men are tough, they're just seen as smart. Right. You know, go-getters. And that is a perception that I think has really affected the way everybody thinks. And and it isn't just men who think that way about women. Women think that way about women. More than men think that about women. And we don't help each other the way that men help each other, believe it or not. We are more worried, I think, because we feel like there aren't enough spots for us. So we don't really want anybody else to take our spots where men are a little more casual about that. And they feel like, oh, there's there's spots for everyone. Um, And I think that women need to support each other. We just do. In whatever field we do, just remember that there's room for everyone and we need to support each other because we actually need each other. No, desperately. No, no question. The first job I had was at Working Woman magazine. There was not a less friendly place yeah. for women trying to elevate other women. Yeah. And that and that happens across the board. It happens with women who um, their career is taking care of their kids. Watch them in schools. <laughs> They, they literally jump on each other. And instead, we should be creating a community to help each other. Um, I don't think men and women are better or not better. I think we're all very different from each other. We all want very different things. But women need to kind of support each other the way that men support each other. You mentioned your brand. And for better or for worse, these days, anybody who has a presence on social media is building their brand. What do you say to them? What kind of advice do you give for two people who want to be the best brand of themselves they can be? Well, I always tell people to figure out, first of all, who you are and what you want. And once you figure those two things out, 
what makes you unique? What makes you different from everyone else? Because you have to have something that's different in order for it to stick. It's that stickiness. Um, and then I think, you know, to really create a brand, you have to know what you stand for. And it, that is deep soul searching and it is not for everyone. And it, it doesn't need to be for everyone. You know, everybody has a different mission in this life. Everybody has a different journey. And I think that we just need to respect each other's journeys. Um, and I think that knowing what you want and what the message is that you're trying to deliver to people is the key. My, my message is empowerment through food. That is really all I do all day. I try to empower men, women, children, people of all ages, all genders, um, to find some kind of strength in themselves and beauty in themselves through the cooking. Through cooking because it's something that we all need to, to share. We all need to eat. So whether you want to cook a meal or just assemble a meal, there's different tools for that. But there's an empowerment in that. Uh, no, no question. I went to cooking school before I became a, a writer. And Look at that. I, did. I had no idea. I went to cooking school and I'm a good cook. But I actually ordered Blue Apron a couple of weeks ago because I was out of ideas. I was just a little sick of what I was making for dinner. Mm -hmm. And my husband's kind of great about this. I'll call him, you know, in the middle of the day and say, what did you eat for lunch? I need to know yeah. what to make. I, Cause yeah, I can yeah, make, yeah. I can make anything, but I need to know. And I make your lemon pasta with and without the shrimp and yeah. it's fabulous. What do you think of these kits in general? You know, I, I think the kits are great. Because I find that they kind of bring people together. I know a lot of people who have gotten the kits and then got a couple of friends to over. They call, come over, and they sort of – because a lot of stuff is already um, chopped and mm -hmm. meased for you. Yeah. So you don't have to go to the grocery store and buy a bag of carrots and then say, okay, now what do I do with these three carrots? Right. You know, a lot of people don't have that sort of – they don't know what to do with all these ingredients, and they don't want to just have them rot in their fridge. So it's a really nice way – to maybe just um, introduce people to a new type of cuisine. I always tell my friends, like, if you want to try something different, order, I don't know, order a Thai dish on Blue Apron. Try it. Try it. All the ingredients are there. You don't have to go to a Thai market to get this. You don't have to get all these spices. It's all measured out for you. So it's sort of foolproof. And then you have this meal and you can decide, do I like it? Do I not like it? If you like it, you invest in it. Right. And right? you can make it again. Yes. You have the recipe cards. Right. Which exactly. Added so value. if you don't, then you know, okay, I'm not going to do that dish. Right. Because sometimes, and listen, I'm shooting myself in the foot right now, but sometimes you look at a, at a cookbook and you're like, but wait, I have to buy all these ingredients, but I only need a teaspoon of this and a quarter teaspoon of that. Now what do I do with it? So, you know, when I try to write my recipes in my cookbooks, I try to always use only the ingredients I absolutely need. And I try to always use the entire amount that you can buy at the grocery store. I have many of your books and one of the things I like about them, and I judge recipes on this and I won't name names, but there are cookbooks that I have gotten rid of because the extraneous ingredients made me a little crazy. Yeah. Because a lot of chefs cook in restaurants. In restaurants, you can always sort of reuse everything. You know, you have many different dishes to use them in, but you have to think as a home cook. You don't want to invest that kind of money to then not know what to do with the rest of the ingredients. And I, I think Blue Apron, like many deliveries, they empower people. And that's 
all that matters. As we take a break here, I just want to tell you about how her money came to be. It came out of a brainstorming session that I had with some women at Fidelity Investments. We were thinking about ways to get women talking more often about money, how to save it and invest it and put together a plan for the future. And somebody said, podcast. There are so few podcasts for women by women. And we thought we could have conversations with smart, interesting guests like Giada, answer questions from listeners, talk about why money can be so emotional and frustrating. And I am just thrilled that Fidelity was willing to work with me to bring her money to life. For more financial resources, check out fidelity.com slash it's time. What are your other favorite empowering tips for home cooks? Um, well, I think that definitely create a space in your kitchen that you enjoy being in. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to build a whole new kitchen, but maybe find a couple of tools that you really enjoy. Like I always say to people, if you truly like to cook, um, buy yourself a knife that feels good to you, that empowers you to chop well, that empowers you to slice, right? It's like for women, I always say it's like a great pair of heels. When you put them on, you feel tall and you feel sexy and you feel empowered, right? Well, it's the same thing with a knife. Yep. So a knife is a key to feeling sexy and empowered in the kitchen because when you're slicing and you're just going through that zucchini, you're going through that onion so easily, it empowers you and makes you want to do it again. Find a couple of tools that look really pretty in your kitchen. They make you want to go in there, mm -hmm. right? So you don't have to spend a lot of money doing it, but find a few key elements, tools in the kitchen that make you feel good about cooking, that make you want to go into the kitchen. Um, it could be a coffee machine. It could be a really pretty pot that's colorful that sits on your stove that makes you think, I want to use that pot. It is so beautiful. Something that makes you feel good about your space. If it's a candle, if it's a flower, whatever it is, if you beautify the space, you will feel better doing it. I think it also helps. And I remember cooking became unlocked for me when I realized all the different things I could make with a chicken breast and a sauce. Like mm -hmm. if you master one thing, and mm -hmm. the same is true in the world of money. If you get really good at just saving, okay, you've conquered that and you can feel like a success. Yeah. I think, I think saving is the hardest thing always. Um, it's interesting because I think for a lot of women, if you can save a certain amount, then you feel like you have a padding and, and you feel like you don't need to rely on anyone else. I think, you know, for a long time, we relied on others to take care of us, whether it's our parents or our husbands or whomever we, we, as a society, um, as a culture, mm -hmm. women tend to look right to somebody else. And that's not necessarily our fault. I think it was designed that way, quite frankly, over hundreds of years ago. Yes. But I think that if we can kind of empower ourselves and feel good about ourselves. And when it comes to money, save a little bit every day. At night, you go to bed and you feel like you're empowered. You feel like I can go and conquer that because I have something to rely on. And it isn't somebody else. I've created it myself. So many of us are alone these days. I, you just came through a divorce. I've been through a divorce. There's nothing fun about a divorce. Yeah. But I get emails every day from women who are starting the process and going through it and, and their questions are very much the same. What advice will you give people who are going through it and what do you wish you had done differently before? Oh, I don't regret anything I did before. Um, and I don't know that I would have done anything differently because 
There's no regrets. I never look back to regret. I think that I made the choices I made and it led me to who I am today. And I wouldn't want to change that for anything. Um, but, you know, luckily for me, I had a career and I had money that I could sort of take care of, you know, uh, the situation, mm-hmm. uh, my ex-husband and all of that and my daughter. So I was very lucky to have that. There are many women who do not have that. Yeah. And that is a scary place to be. And that I understand. Um, but I feel like I made some good decisions in my career that helped me gain independence. And through cooking, I found my empowerment and I wouldn't want to give that up for anything. And that's why I say I made the choices I made, but it made me who I am today. And at 45 years old, I look at myself, I'm like, okay, yeah, you know what? I was with someone for 25 years and yeah, it didn't work out in the end. Uh, but I wouldn't have gotten to where I am today without that relationship. And I certainly wouldn't have the beautiful eight-year-old daughter that I have today, who is probably the best thing I've ever created. Um, so that's why I say I don't look back with any with anything but happiness at the end of the day. What do you want her to grow up knowing about money? That it doesn't grow on trees, number one. That is a tough lesson to teach. That my her mommy works really hard yeah. <laughs> for it. So we don't need to buy everything we ever wanted. Um, I want her to learn the value of money and I've started now that she's eight to, to tell her, well, if you really want that, then you either have to take it out of your piggy bank to get it or you need to work for it. So let's do some chores. Let's take control of the situation. My, for instance, she wanted a cat. I got her a cat, but half the time she doesn't want to clean the kitty litter, feed the cat, brush the cat. Right. So I said to her, you know. This is something you wanted. So now you need to help me take responsibility for it. And, and immediately she's like, well, how much are you going to pay me to do it? And then I'll think about it. And I said, now we will decide together what the value of what you're doing is. And then you can save the money to buy whatever it is that you want. It is not your birthday. It is not Christmas. We don't just go and buy. That's right. And when she does that, I find that she really enjoys whatever it is, whether it's a book, because sometimes it's a book at Barnes & Noble. Like, it doesn't matter what it is. She cherishes it more because all of a sudden she puts a different value on it. Yeah. She had to work for it. And there's a different set of values, uh, you know, associated with that. I always remember when the light went on for my kids, and they're older than your kids. Yeah. but. When they started babysitting, the money that they made was very different than the allowance that they received. You know, all of a sudden they could quantify it. It was, oh, this is an hour's worth of me putting that child to bed or me making dinner for that child. Like it was, their money is more valuable than my money. Yeah. Well, when did that happen? Just so I'm ready for it. It it happened. Because she can't babysit just yet. She's a little young. She gets (laughs) babysat. But they started working as mother's helpers around 12. Okay. So a few more years. Yeah. You've got time. Yeah. It's actually different when someone else is paying you and you're working for someone else and Mm -hmm. it is not your mommy or your daddy. And I I think that does change the perspective, but you know, I also live in Los Angeles and with my career, you know, Jade sees people have all sorts of things and she just assumes that that's what we all have. So Keeping it on the straight and narrow is is interesting. And I found that I need to be also sort of follow my own advice and not buy a million things and recycle things and and let her see that I've reworn dresses and I've used the same bag and I've, you know, just change it up like that. 
they to want to reinforce. They see they do everything. Watch, and that's why I'm saying I need to be conscious of that. She watches everything that I do. And I cannot just tell her one thing and then do something else. The reinforcement has to come through everything. And that actually happens also with food for our children. You know, our children watch what we eat. If we're picky eaters and we try to eat only one thing, they will want to eventually do the same. So over time, we need to be their guides. The better, you know, the better we do with ourselves, the more they're going to see that and want to follow. Fantastic. You have to be good. What's eaters. coming next for you? I'm going to Italy for a month soon to shoot a show, which I'm very excited about. Amazing. It's a nice refresher. It's sort of a time to, yes, it's for work, but it actually, it's sort of a time to unplug a little bit as well. You're so far away. Mm -hmm. You don't get any emails all day and it's cold because everybody's asleep here. So it's sort of, I don't know. It's liberating, <laughs> quite frankly. Sounds and it's wonderful. really nice. Yeah. It's really nice. So it's fun. Thank you so much for, for having me, Jean. Oh, this it was so great. This was terrific. Thank Aww. you. It's time to take your questions from Facebook and Twitter. Kelly Heldgren is in the studio with me. And by the way, we should mention we're at CDM Studios where we record this podcast and in our nice little comfortable home on 45th and 9th. So thanks to them for having us. Yes. Thank you, CDM. They're fantastic. They're fantastic. Yes. Tell us what you got. Deline writes to us on Facebook this week. She's had a credit card in her name for the past 15 years, and she never uses it. Uh, she uses the one her and her husband share because they earn rewards on it. She wants to know if it would be bad to close the card. She never uses it, but I'm sure she's worried that it's going to affect her score. Deline, I would check your credit report and make sure that this credit card company hasn't dumped you. If you're not getting bills on a regular basis and you haven't used the card in 15 years, my guess would be that they have closed your account and you may not know it. So go to annualcreditreport.com, pull a copy of your credit report, and see if this shows up. If it does show up, either use it and pay it off once a month because you need to do that to keep your credit history active, or see if the card that you're using with your husband is reporting to the credit bureau for you as well. It, you may be on that credit card as an authorized user and may be experiencing the benefits of using that card and paying it off. In either case, I, I want you to have a card in your name that you actually use. That's the most important thing. Pick another kind of reward. Apply for a card. Use that. Get some cash back. It's really, really important because 90% of women are going to be alone at some point in our lives. We're going to have to manage the money. We're going to have to manage the credit. We don't want to be behind the eight ball when that happens. That's why we need a credit history. I didn't know that credit card companies can dump you. Yes. In fact, it has happened to me. What? It has. Yeah. Banana Republic dumped me. I, I, you know what? It was okay with me. I wasn't using the card and they, they closed it for inactivity. And if you think about it, why would they want to send you bills in the mail? Why would they want to pay for postage just to tell them that you owe them no money because you're not shopping there? Sure. And it's probably safer too, because once you close that open line of credit, and it lessens the likelihood of someone else using it. Exactly. Exactly. So check your report, Deline. We have a question on Twitter this week. At Kendra Dorsum tweeted asking, should I pay off credit card debt and save for retirement at the same time? It is a good idea to at least try because you don't want to get so far behind on retirement that your money doesn't have the opportunity to grow. 
And also, you know, we talk a lot about this or that on this show. I feel like we, we're talking about should I pay off this loan or that loan? Should I save for this or pay off that? It's always a matter of interest rate versus return on your money. So credit card interest rates, generally high. But matching dollars from your employer in a retirement account, generally higher. You don't want to miss out on those matching dollars. So I would say make sure you're putting enough into retirement to capture as many of those matching dollars as you possibly can and funnel some money toward paying off those credit cards at the same time. And by the way, if you haven't picked up the phone and called your credit card company and asked them to lower the interest rate on your cards, you should do that pronto. Bankrate just came out with a survey. 79% of people who called and asked to have their interest rates reduced were successful. And the number was even higher for people who had paid late and wanted to get the late fee taken off of their... Yeah, I don't remember. It's like 86 or 87%. It was something shockingly high. So... The, the moral of the story, to me anyway, seems to be your credit card companies are in the mood to be nice to you. You should take advantage of it. Reminds me of one of your money rules. If you don't ask, the answer will always be no, right? That is true. You have to ask. You have to ask. I think customer service is having a real good period, actually, right now. And my mother was telling me that she changed flights to get home to me for a holiday recently several times, and they did not charge her change fees. Which is unheard of. Which is unheard of. But she was nice to the people on the phone. The people on the phone were nice to her. I'm I'm telling you, there is something there. We're going to have to look into it as a story. I like that. It could just be Elaine. It could. It could. My mother's very nice. She's so sweet. Thanks, Dean. Okay. And now it's time for our weekly Thrive segment. And today we're talking taxes. I know you're thinking it's too soon. It is not. Yes, we just wrapped up the 2015 tax season, but experts strongly encourage that you keep your eye on taxes all year long because the things that you do between now and the end of the year can pay off big when you go to file next year. So here are three ways to stay ahead of the game. One, get organized. If you were scrambling this year to find all of your necessary documents, avoid that next year by starting now. Make a folder that says 2016 taxes and put it where you keep your day-to-day paperwork. In it, go papers, receipts, anything relating to charitable contributions, expenses for volunteer efforts, job searching costs, even business startup costs, if that applies to you this year. I have my folder on the desk in the kitchen where it's never too far out of reach. Second, think about itemizing. Even if you've never itemized in the past, you should at least consider it. Itemizing pays particularly when you have significant deductions like real estate taxes, charitable contributions, and medical expenses. And sometimes it makes sense to do something called bunching your deductions, which essentially means squishing them so that you just itemize every other year and you take your big deductions in those every other years. And three... Adjust your withholding. If your tax refund was unusually high this year or you always get a tax refund, it is time to adjust the withholding on your W-4. Otherwise, you're essentially giving the IRS an interest-free loan on your money. 
On the other hand, if you owed the IRS a lot of money, you're going to want to adjust your W-4 in the other direction so that you're not playing catch-up again next year. The only exception to this, if the only money that you save every year is your tax refund, then you get a free pass from me to just leave it alone. Yes, you're letting the government keep your money for a little while, but this mind game is clearly benefiting you more than it's hurting. Okay, just to review, you want to beat Uncle Sam to the punch by five Filing away your tax-related paperwork as soon as you have it, bunching your deductions into every other year, and then adjusting your withholding if you have to. Thanks so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thanks to Jada for a fantastic conversation, for opening up about your life, your business, what it's like to be a woman working in the world of men. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at iTunes. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. Our music is provided by Track Tribe. Our show comes to you through PRX. Join us next week when we'll have a financial fitness shape-up with America's toughest trainer. Yes, Jillian Michaels will be in the house. She'll give us a little insight into her life as well. And we'll always have a great way for you to thrive. Thanks for listening and tune in next.